0: Hello, my name is Stan Weatherford. Good to see you. It's great to be in God's house, isn't it, to worship the Lord. And I love coming out here to First Baptist Church in Wimberley, Texas. I need to bring my wife out here, but I'm afraid if I did, we'll have to move out here and stay. It's great. And I sure appreciate all of you and the joy of being able to be back with you to stand in the place of my younger brother. I used to say little brother, but he's not little. And, uh, but he is my younger brother, and uh, I said he must have a lot of confidence in me to let me come out here and him leave town, but I've had a peaceful, peaceful weekend, I'm telling you. <laughs> Yesterday, I didn't even leave the house. I went and got a breakfast taco in the morning, then went and got a hamburger, and other than that, I stayed at home, and I, I'm going to tell Scott when he gets back, I said, you got a great place. You ought to stay here sometime, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's, it's always a joy. Scott assigned my text to me several months, uh, well, a month and a half ago, I guess, when he called me and said, hey, can you come out and preach for me uh, on this Sunday in February? And I, of course, I agreed. And he said, now, we're going through a series of sermons from the Gospel of Luke about our identity in Christ. And that just thrilled me because I love the Gospel of Luke. As a matter of fact, I think the last time I was out here, I actually preached from the Gospel of Luke, but I think I was in the 10th chapter. Today, we're in the 9th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And so, Scott told me what this was all about, about Jesus and being what God wants us to be. And so, I have been working on this message for about a month and a half. And I'm telling you, this morning at the early service, it was a relief to finally preach it. And so, maybe I will have a double relief after this morning, after I get to share with you for a few moments, but take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. We're at verses 46, and I'm going to read down through verse 56, or verse 50, and uh, you'll notice this text. is about Jesus' disciples arguing about who is going to be the greatest, and that's just typical, isn't it? Who's going to be number one? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus gave them these instructions. He said in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. One of the things I struggled with in this message was trying to come up with a title. And uh, I struggled trying to think about, now, what am I going to call this sermon. Every sermon needs a title that ought to go along with what the message is considering. And so I thought about all kinds of titles. I thought about the secret to greatness in God's kingdom. Doesn't that sound like a generic title or the key to greatness? And I, I just never could get satisfied with that. And so last week I went to the beauty shop to get my hair cut. Now in Mississippi, we call it the beauty shop. Its real name is the curl up and die. And so, uh, only in Mississippi. So I went to the Curl Up and Die, and uh, my friend Amy was cutting hair, and every time I go in there, I get a little bit confused. And and so I'm sitting there waiting my turn to get my hair cut, and there's a lady sitting there, and Amy is working on her hair, and she's filling her hair with tinfoil. Then you got to be kidding me. What is this all about? I'm a little bit confused. She's got a paintbrush in one hand, and the lady's holding a handful of tinfoil. She's painting her hair. She's getting a piece of tinfoil, folding it, putting it in her hair. The only thing I could figure is she was trying to get better cell phone reception. <laughs> But anyway, I'm sitting there trying to take it in, and I I don't ask any questions. I learned a long time ago, don't ask any questions when you're in the beauty shop. You'll get more information than you ever wanted before. So I'm just sitting there and said, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and not reveal my ignorance. I don't know what's going on here. But anyway, I'm sitting there, and I said, well, there's a People magazine here. So I started looking at the magazine, started flipping through the pages, and I really wasn't looking at the articles as much as the titles the articles. And I got to thinking, I said, you know, these titles are there to cause you to say, Well, I want to read this because it's got a catchy title. And while I was sitting there, it occurred to me the title for this message. And the message title is No More Elbows. Can you say that with me? No More Elbows. And, and, and that comes from the sense that there are so many people that are always jockeying for position. Have you ever been in a line and someone cut in front of you and gave you the elbow? Well, that's kind of what I have in mind here, is that the disciples were jockeying for position. And uh, they were worried about who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, we're not going to have any elbows among you. There will be no more elbows. Now, there's a truth that I want you to get. And this is the essence of the sermon in a sentence. And that is... Real status before the Lord is not found in our social position. Our real status before the Lord is found in our servant's heart. God wants us to serve Him. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we realize that evidently there had been an ongoing argument with the disciples about who was going to be the greatest. Doesn't that sound typical of people? Now, who's going to be in the greatest position? And there was anticipation that was going on with this. So as we set the stage for what's going on, let's think about what was happening that would cause them to say, you know, everything's moving in the right direction, and now God's kingdom is going to come, and we're going to be in different positions, and who's going to have the position of most power and most prominence, most prestige And Jesus heard them arguing. As a matter of fact, all the Gospels record this. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, the disciples actually come to Jesus and ask the question, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And again, Jesus takes the child and says, he who is greatest among you must become like this little child. And and then a little bit later in Matthew's Gospel in the 20th chapter, James and John have their mother come and asked Jesus if her sons could sit one on the right and one on the left. Isn't that amazing? They got mama involved in it. Would you come and talk to Jesus and ask him? And, and Jesus sees that moment. The other disciples became indignant. Can you imagine that? They've gotten mad about it. And uh, Jesus said, now listen, the, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. It's not supposed to be that way. It's not going to be that way with you, but he whose greatest is going to be the least. And then Jesus stated his purpose. He said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, we we find that uh, in Matthew's gospel too, that these guys were arguing and and they were on their way to Capernaum, and on the way they were arguing, and Jesus asked him, What were you discussing on the way? And typical they didn't want to talk about it. When Jesus asked them, they were too embarrassed to say, well, what we are really arguing about was who was going to be the greatest. And this seems to be going on and on. But there's anticipation that is building. In the context of Luke chapter 9, you'll find several things that happen. One of those things was the great confession. Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he asked them two pointed questions. The first one was, who do men say that I am? And they began to respond with what they'd been hearing. Some say, well, you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah because Elijah must come first, and then the disciples. Some say you're one of the prophets, and they answered the question. And then Jesus, very pointedly, looked at them and said, but who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up, and he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 16, when that question is asked, Jesus looks at Peter and says, "'You're blessed, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven.'" And, and you're Peter, you're the little rock, but upon this rock, he pointed himself, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's anticipation building. Something's going to happen. A few days after that, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, those three, they went up on the mountain, and Jesus was transfigured in front of them. The glory of Christ, the inner glory of Christ manifested itself outwardly, and they saw the glory of God in Christ. And Peter spoke up, and he said, it's good for us to be here. Moses and Elijah appeared. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So those three went up on the mountain. How do you suppose that made the other guys feel? Well, maybe Jesus is showing favoritism to them. Maybe, maybe, why didn't we get to go? We don't know the answer to that. The Bible's silent about that. But you can see there's growing anticipation. And maybe those three that we just named, Peter, James, and John. James and John had their mother come, and, and, and Peter, was he was the spokesman anyway. He was the natural leader. And uh, so all of a sudden, these guys are arguing about who was going to be the greatest because they knew things were going to be happening And they were going to be happening soon. But what they failed to hear was this. Not once, but twice. Jesus told them plainly what was going to happen. He said, I must go to Jerusalem. And there I will be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I will be crucified. And three days later, I will rise from the dead. And the disciples didn't want to hear that. And so a second time, he tells them again, I must go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified. Three days later, I'm going to come out of the grave. And they still wouldn't listen to Jesus. They were so concerned about themselves and their own status and their own position that they didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. Oh, do we ever do that? Surely not. But the disciples were so concerned about themselves that they forgot about what it was really all about. Jesus asked James and John, are you able to drink from this cup that I'm drinking from? They said, yes, sir. They didn't know what they're talking about because what was Jesus was saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross and die daily and follow me. They didn't want to die to themselves. They wanted to exalt themselves. And Jesus had to give them this lesson about greatness. And so when we look at this, what we realize is what Jesus is telling them, the greatest person in God's kingdom is the servant, the person who has a humble heart with one desire, and that is to faithfully serve the Lord and to allow God to work in and through his or her life to accomplish His will. And the truth of the matter is this. When we identify with Christ, And our identity with Christ is simply this. Who are we? We're servants of the Lord. That's who we are. And it's all about Jesus. And let me remind you of this, and I probably said this before, but it's worth repeating. Some things are worth repeating over and over again. And and what's worth repeating is this. The goal of the Christian life is not to go to heaven when you die. The goal of the Christian life is to become more like Christ while you live. And eternity is to be fully like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And so the disciples had something to learn. So what Jesus is talking here is about humility and having a humble heart before the Lord. And so when we think about the basis for humility, there's really two or three things that we need to note. The first thing Jesus did to illustrate humility, he got a little child. And he had the little child come and stand beside him and say, you've got to become like this little child. Well, in Matthew's gospel, this takes place in Capernaum, probably in the home of Simon Peter. Now, Peter might have been the ringleader of this. Could have been they're saying, hey, I'm going to be the greatest in God's kingdom because look at all that he's doing with me. And he's in Peter's house. And it might have been Peter's little boy that Jesus got and stood up beside him and said, Peter, you're going to have to come like your child here. To all the disciples, you're going to have to come like your child. You're going to have to become dependent. You're going to have to become needy. (laughs) You're going to have to become trusting, just like this little child. He said, that's how you come. Do you realize you come to Jesus with a childlike faith? It's not a complicated matter. It's just knowing that God loves us and that Jesus died on the cross for our sins And and, and that if we'll trust him, he'll give us the gift of eternal life, and he does. We come by childlike faith. And so he said, you've got to be like a little child and and trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus except this way. And, And then he said, you need to have a clear personal analysis, a clear personal analysis. Now, I've been working on this message for a month and a half, so I've had a lot of time to really think about this. And so I've been thinking about this. And it's been weighing on my mind. I've been writing notes and changing things and looking at things. And the other day I was standing there in front of the mirror and I was looking at myself and I said, golly, how did I get this way, this fast, you know? But then I got to thinking about my relationship with the Lord and I realized this about me. On my best day, when I do everything right, or I feel like I have, you know, I, even on my best day, on my best behavior, when I've done everything that Vicky's asked me to do, my wife, everything's good. Even on my best day, you know what? I'm still a sinner saved by the grace of God. And a clear personal analysis makes me realize this truth. I am who I am because of God's grace. It's not what I did. It's what He did. And when we realize that we are sinners and we're only where we are because God's been gracious to us, what more can we do except have a humble heart? Paul had to remind the Corinthians of this. In 1 Corinthians, you see a church that is divided. It is divided internally and against Paul. And the reason it was divided was because there were some in that church who felt like they were more spiritual than everybody else. They call themselves the Sukikoi, which means the spiritual ones. We are the spiritual ones because we have particular spiritual gifts. That makes us better than everybody else. And so we're on a higher spiritual plane because we've got this particular gift that causes us, causes us to be able to speak with the tongues of men and of angels By the way, 1 Corinthians was not a passage that was written to be read at a wedding ceremony. It was written to a church that was divided internally. And Paul said to them, you can speak with the tongues of men and angels. You can have all faith so as to remove mountains. You can do all these things. But if you don't have a humble, loving heart, it's worth nothing. Absolutely. In the first chapter, in chapter 1, verse 26, Paul said, let me remind you of where you were before you came to Christ. You, there were not many no, of noble birth. There were not many highly regarded people here. There were not many educated and well-rounded people here. He said, but you know what? God chose the, the, the lesser things of the world that he might exalt himself. And he said, look at who you are. You are who you are because God is gracious. That's the basis of humility. That's the basis of service is, is to realize we are who we are because of God's grace, and that's the truth. We are His because God is gracious, and when we realize that, then we realize that our true identity in Jesus is not self-exaltation. It is selfless service to our Lord, and so the basis of humility is God's grace, but what about the expressions of true humility? There are six of these that I want to share with you, How do we express true humility in the fellowship of the church? The first one is this. We relinquish selfish desires. Do you realize it's a great day in your life and in every relationship, in your marriage, in your friendships, in every relationship, it is a great day when you come to realize it's not about me. I don't have to have my way. It's not about me. It's what God wants. Paul would say it this way, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a great day when we realize that it's no longer about me. Our home church, they got in an argument over music. Can you believe that? that a church would get in an argument over music. You know, is God traditional or is God contemporary? What do you think? You know, I'm trying to figure that out theologically. A the gentleman told me he was reading this big, thick book of theology, and I'm trying to figure that one out. You know, and so they're having this big argument about, you know, music, all things. And, and what it boiled down to is personal preference. I don't think it had much to do with the Lord, but they came to my daddy. Our dad, of course, dad's in heaven now, and we were blessed to have a wonderful dad. They came to my dad he's 85 years old, okay? He's 85 years old, and he's in church, and they come to my dad and said, Mr. Weatherford, what do you think about this music in the church? My daddy couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. I mean, you didn't want to hear my daddy sing. And he, you know, but this is, what, this is his response. He said, well, I'll tell you what I think said, if rap music will bring somebody to Jesus, let's rap. 85 years old, man, let's rap. <laughs> and what he was saying is this, it's not about me. Let's do what is going to bring people to Christ. And let's meet people where they are with the gospel. It's a wonderful thing when we say, it's no longer about me. It's all about The second thing is this not only relinquishment of self centeredness, but also submission to God's will. Submission to God's will. Those two things go hand in hand together. I was in a a church recently. As a matter of fact, I've been preaching in three different churches in the last few weeks. Uh, Pleasant Hill Baptist Church, we had nine in church one Sunday, and that was a big crowd. I was so happy. As a matter of fact, the Sunday before, we had six. And I said, if we get to 10, I'm going to write a book on the dynamics of church growth. <laughs> then I had another church that called me, and it got down to five little ladies, and that's all that were there, and they were trying to hold their church together. They're having garage sales to pay the bills, and they asked me if I would come and help them, and I told them, I said, yes. I'll come and help you if you'll have church from 12:30 to 1:30 in the afternoon because I'm tied up in the mornings preaching at yet another church. And they said, that's great." I said, "Now here's the deal. You don't have to pay me, and you can fire me anytime you want to. Isn't that a deal? That's a deal, isn't it? You don't have to pay me. You can fire me anytime you want to. And so they were down to five. Last Sunday we had 21. Isn't that amazing? The dynamics of church growth, right? Then I'm preaching at another church, and last Sunday we had 51. So, man, this is. Listen, I'm not used to preaching this many people. It's <laughs> scaring me to death. But you know, it, it's it's significant is that those little ladies in that church they said, "We we want to do what God wants us to do." And you know, it's not about the place. It's not about the position. Whether there's nine or there's 9,000, the best place to be is where God wants you. And you know, God determines the place. He determines the position. There don't have to be any elbowing for position or jockeying for that. Just serve God and do His will in the place where He placed you. And see, that's that's a humble heart. It's just be God's person. No matter where you are, because it's all about Jesus. It's, it's what Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will. Thy will be done. My wife, I, I, I want Vicki to come out here. She is a lot better looking than I am. I mean, I met a Mississippi girl, and she's a good looking woman. I'm telling you. She really helps me out. And, uh, but she's a cardiac intensive care nurse. Before we got married, I asked her this question. I said, Vicki, do you feel called to be a preacher's wife? That's a good question, isn't it? You know, because I see a lot of churches, they want the pastor's wife to be front and center and lead the WMU and all this stuff. Well, that's not my wife. So I asked her, I said, do you feel called to be a preacher's wife? You know how she responded? No, I feel called to be your wife and you're a preacher. I'm your wife first. But you know what she's done? You would never get her to stand up here like I'm doing. You would never get her up here. As a matter of fact, it would make her fighting mad if she were here. And I say, Biggie, would you come up here and stand beside me? She would slap me naked and hide my clothes. <laughs> and that would not be a very good sight, I'm telling you. <laughs> but you know what she did? She said, I'm going to find a place and I'm going to serve the Lord. So she decided that she would teach little children in Sunday school, and that's her place. That's what she wants to do, and that's what she does. She's a cardiac intensive care nurse, but she is not a nurse for a paycheck. She's a nurse because she feels that's where God led her, and she's serving the Lord by ministering to people. You see, that's where the fulfillment is found. It's when we forget about ourselves, and we let Jesus be Jesus in us, and it's not what we want. It's what He wants. Listen. When we come to a place like that in our churches, you will find unity and peace and love like you've never seen before. Because it's no longer about personal preference. It's no longer about what I want. It's all about Him. And I don't know why we can't understand that. And I can tell you this. If you have a servant's heart, you will be welcome in any church, anywhere, anytime. I saw on the screen up here about service, opportunities. Find the place where God wants you and put your whole heart into it and serve the Lord with the gifts He's given you and serve the Lord with gladness. And if God wants to promote you, let Him do it. And He will. And so there's submission to God's will. Then there's the faithfulness or the faithfulness of faithfulness. The faithfulness of faithfulness or faithful in faithfulness is how I said it. Faithful in faithfulness, what does that mean? It just means that you're consistent, that you're there, that you've accepted responsibility and and you're taking what God's given you and you're using it to His glory. Scott and I grew up in Valparaiso, Florida at the Eastgate Eglin Air Force Base in our little community. We grew up in Mayberry. We really did in a lot of ways. You know, everybody knew everybody and all that kind of stuff. And, and in our church, there was a couple there, Mr. and Mrs. Schroeder. They were not wealthy people. They were people of humble means. They lived in a little bitty house on a narrow street in our community where there was a lot of low-income housing. Their house probably had 1,000 square feet in it. Mr. Schroeder would fix our bicycles. They're just a humble couple. Tragically, he was killed in an automobile accident. They had gone to Fort Walton Beach. They hit the cutoff road that went to the four lane. He was trying to get across the four lane. His car was T-boned. He was killed. And Miss Schroeder was left as a widow. In our church was Mr. And Mrs. R.C. McKelvey. And Mr. McKelvey was the head of personnel over the civil service employees at Eglin Air Force Base. Had a big job. And was a wonderful person. Loved the Lord. And he and his wife kind of adopted Ms. Schroeder. And so they were trying to help her manage her things. Mr. McKelvey came to me one day and told me about Ms. Schroeder. He said, Miss Schroeder gets, her pension is $252 a month. That's what she gets. $252 a month. How would you like to try to live on two hundred fifty-two dollars a month? But this is the kicker: she was giving fifty-two dollars to the church every month. So she was giving, two, had two hundred fifty-two. She's giving fifty-two to the church, and she had two hundred left. Sometimes she didn't have all that she needed. So Mr. McKelvey went over there and he sat down with Miss Schroeder and said, "Miss Schroeder, you're giving way too much money to the church." Said, you know, you you don't need to be giving this much money to the church. And she said, I will go without food before I will cut my giving to my blessed Lord. And she refused to do it. She said, God's always taking care of me. And God's called me to be faithful. That's a testimony, isn't it? And I look at myself. And I look at the abundance I have. And sometimes I'm so selfish and so self-centered that I forget that what God's called us is not to be successful but to be faithful. Let God handle the rest of it. You be faithful. And then the fourth thing is the celebration of God's work. Now we're talking about expressions of true humility. Relinquishment of self-centeredness Submission to God's will, faithful faithful in faithfulness, and celebration of God's work. What do I mean by that? There was a fellow that John said, Jesus, we caught a fellow who was casting out demons in your name. And we stopped him. We caught a fellow that was doing what we're supposed to be doing. We stopped him. What did Jesus say? Don't stop him. He who is for us is not against us. Don't think that you're the only person God can use. (laughs) Don't think that we're a tight circle here. No one else can use us (laughs) or or be a part of us. (laughs) In other words, we ought to celebrate each other's ministries. We ought to celebrate what God's doing in each other's lives. That's like my, my little brother. I, I got to thinking about this morning after the, sur- the first service. I said, you know, old Scott, he's, he, he left me here alone. <laughs> you know, I've been hanging out by myself. I said, man, this, he must have a lot of confidence in me to turn me loose at his church. And, you know, I to say something might embarrass him. Or <laughs> but, you know, I got to thinking about that. There's never been any competition with us. He's himself and I'm myself. And you know what? It's okay. And when he, when, you know what we've learned to do through the years? To rejoice and to weep. I've wept with him. I've rejoiced with him. We've been there together. Paul said that about him and Apollos. He said, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? Who are we? We're just servants of Jesus Christ. Don't pit us against each other because it's not about us. It's about him. And we celebrate God's work I love the one-minute manager that says, catch somebody doing something good and tell them how much you appreciate it. What would that do in our church? Catch somebody doing something good and say, I appreciate you. We celebrate God's work. And then the fifth thing is we extend God's grace. We extend God's grace. I learned something about a Baptist church a long time ago. might surprise you what I learned. I know if you hang around a Baptist church very long, you might get your feelings hurt. Now, I know that's not true here. You know, somebody might say something you might not like. But you know what I've learned? With a humble heart, we can extend God's grace to each other. We don't have to always agree, but we always got to get along and work together. And we do so with a humble heart. Don't you love God's grace? I love God's grace. Don't you love the truth that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Don't you love that? Don't you love God's grace? Ooh, but what about extending it to somebody else? A humble heart extends God's grace. It heals. It comforts. It sustains. That's true greatness in God's eyes. Then there's one other thing. We said the relinquishment of self-centeredness, submission to God's will, faithfulness in faithfulness, celebration of God's work, and extending God's grace. But then, the greatest example of all. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me, if you would. And you know, God's absolutely amazing. Do y'all know that? That God is absolutely amazing. I could not get over this a minute ago, and I told White, as we were standing there, I said, listen to this. When the Scripture was quoted during the, during the music exactly what God laid on my heart. Here's the greatest example. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, or verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, to the Father, the ultimate Christ-likeness is being a servant. And that's our identity in Christ. No more elbows, no more jockeying for position, but letting Jesus be Jesus in our lives. I like to sing this song because it captures exactly what I'm talking about. At the end of these this services, I sing this song in those little churches. And it goes like this. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No more of me but Thee. Resurrection power. Fill me this hour, Jesus, be Jesus in me. Sing it with me. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No more of me but thee, resurrection power. Fill me this hour, Jesus, be Jesus in me.